When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to After the Jag Corps, navigating your career progression, a podcast for judge advocates leaving military service. After the Jag Corps assists officers transitioning from the military law practice by learning from individuals who have successfully embarked on new careers, providing insight on rewarding professional opportunities, job search strategies, resumes, the value of your military experience, and more. Now, here is your host, Tom Welsh. In 2019, I was in Garmisch, Germany, and a colleague was passing through. He had retired, and he sent me an email and said, hey, Tom, as you get ready to transition, let me know when you're ready, and I'll get you onto the MLPN. And I never asked what the acronym stood for, and I really never got around to doing it until this week where I finally got on to the MLPN, which I now know stands for the Military Legal Professional Network. And today we're talking to Scott Felder, who's a retired Army judge advocate and has just taken over the reins as the administrator of this network. So Scott, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Tom. Thanks so much. It's it's really great to be here. I really appreciate the opportunity. MLPN, take it. You were a member or are a member. I, I am a member. Uh, you know, I'd, I'd have to go back and think about how long ago I joined. It actually came to me similarly to the way it came to you. I actually had a colleague in my civilian practice who knew somebody that was a member of the, the Milpin. And one of the things that we at the Milpin do is send out requests for assistance, requests for referrals. So somebody's looking for an attorney in a particular subject matter area in a particular jurisdiction. And a call went out for an intellectual property attorney, and it made it from another Milpin member to my colleague, who was a, a trademark attorney, who came across the hall to my office and said, hey, you're a JAG. Do you know about this Milpin thing? Do you want me to throw your name out there for a referral? So that's how my, you know, my introduction to the network occurred. I guess I've been in the, the seat as the administrator for a handful of months. Turned it over this past summer from Dave Horde, retired Air Force judge advocate who started what we think was about 20 years ago. I remember he and I sitting over coffee trying to work out the logistics of the transfer and doing all the behind the scenes stuff you need to do in Google to make an account actually exist and actually work. And strangely, even for an organizational account, one of the questions is asked you is a birthday. And so we were trying to figure out when the mill bid actually started so we could enter its birthday correctly. And we sort of arbitrarily decided it was sometime in 2002. So I'll, I'll say pretty comfortable saying it's about 20 years old at this point. So how does the mill pen work? I tried Googling it before I came on the air here with you. And there's really not an online presence. Is that an accurate statement or did I just miss it? No, there, there's not. It's it's pretty well close hold. So it started out as, I think, a simple listserv. The reserve retired JAG network. And actually, if you if you were to sort of go behind the seeds and peek at what the actual email address is that we use to send out our global mailings, it still is this lengthy reserve retired JAG network at blah, 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 blah. When Dave moved the platform over to Google is when it sort of evolved into the Military Legal Professionals Network. We opened up to not just reserve and retired judge advocates, but to our paralegals, to our legal administrators, to our civilian colleagues, 
they are no less military legal professionals than those of us in uniform or, or retired from being in uniform are. But it is a, a closed Google group. So the way you you get in is the way that, that you got in, right? You know somebody, you have a colleague who says, oh, hey, are you aware of this network? No, you want to join. And what they'll do is they'll email our centralized mailbox with an introduction. It's, it's usually very simple. It's, hey, Scott, I've got a, a great active duty Navy JAG named Tom Welsh that I want to nominate to the, the network. And I say, that's awesome. What can you tell me about Tom? You know, Give me a couple sentences, a paragraph that I can use to introduce him to our membership. We've got just over 1,700 members now. We just cleared the 1,700 threshold a couple of weeks ago. And once you're in, you're in. And you get all of our, our content, which usually three basic things. One is requests for assistance, as I said, referrals for particular types of counsel in particular jurisdictions. Two are opportunities. So people will pass around job opportunities and the like. And three are the introductions. Hey, you know, here's another new person that's, that's joining the network. Uh, we always include contact information. So maybe it's somebody you knew, you, you encountered during your time in the military, or it's there's a resume with it. And you're like, hey, I've got an opportunity for this person, right? So let me reach out and connect with them individually. And just to be clear, we're talking opportunities across the board, government, civilian, nonprofit. It just depends on where the alumni that are on that list are working. Is that an accurate statement? It, it, yeah, that's absolutely true. So you know, certainly we do a fair amount of passing out links to opportunities that have opened on USA Jobs because a lot of our membership are in positions they'll be hiring, right? They'll be looking and say, hey, I'm hiring two, you know, two new attorneys into my office or I need a new paralegal. A friend of mine is the, the deputy chief counsel of the Corps of Engineers. One of his responsibilities is personnel. And so he'll send me the, the announcements and we'll, we'll push him out and say, hey, jobs with the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers, you know, council office, various locations throughout the country. I've seen a number of in-house opportunities go through, not as often law firm opportunities, though I don't think that's anything other than it. It's not someplace the law firms traditionally think to to advertise, right? Now, you know, I've certainly taken the opportunity when our firm has put something on the street, I'm aware of it, and I'll pass it through the the network because I know it it might generate some interest. But I, I don't think there's a lot of law firm recruiters that are in our network that would say, ah, this is a good source of candidates. I was gonna say it's sort of it's sort of one level down, right? That those of us that are sitting there, we see it and we go, okay, yep, we're one step removed from it. We can we can source it that way. Now, do you get feedback on success stories going through the network or is it just, you know, kind of fire and forget, hey, here's an opportunity and good luck. And then you never, you know, there's no real follow up on it. it. You know, it's funny. So we have what we call the DNR2M rule, the do not reply to me rule, which means when you get one of these things, don't click reply uh, and send it back into the, the mill pin mailbox. And that's that's a couple things. One is I would get inundated with requests in the mailbox or with with responses in the mailbox, and then find myself sort of parsing them out. Oh, you know, are which which of the things that we launched today are you responding to? And and you know, I sort of play traffic cop. Two is I want to make sure that these emails get to the right place. Like if somebody has an urgent request for you know criminal law counsel or something, there's no reason they should be waiting for me to go back into the mill pin box and check it and, and pass the contact information. I want to make sure the information does get into the right places. Some people take that DNR2M rule very, very seriously and will literally never tell me anything uh, about, <laughs> you know, yeah, you know, thanks for sending this out. I got a bunch of great candidates or thanks for sending this out. I found somebody to solve my problem for me. But every once in a while, we get that sort of feedback into the, the centralized mailbox. Uh, oftentimes, it's from people that I know outside of the millpin context anyway, who are you know perfectly willing to follow up and say, hey, Scott, thanks. You know, I'm glad you sent this out. Great candidate came through you know, on the referral. On that, so I'll give you a little bit of news. I was going through a list last night of people I've engaged about coming on to the podcast and reattacking those. And uh, 
there's a Navy guy who's getting out. And I asked him, you know, hey, how's things going at the job hunt? And this is what he wrote me. It's amazing how effective the Millpin is. I only joined a week ago and it got me connected to a couple positions that were not posted on USA Jobs. I was unfamiliar with how available direct recruitment is for attorneys. There's sort of a, a bumper sticker selling point for people that might be want to try to get onto this list. That's excellent. I, I appreciate you letting me know. You know, obviously, obviously nobody emailed me back and said, oh my gosh, you know, that, where did this announcement come from? And, and as I experienced, when you join the mill pin, you get a, a list of different groups, don't you? Yeah. So that that's something that one of our members maintains outside of the mill pin. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the list of lists. And we've had sort of different resources available to us over the years that people have maintained. At one point, we had what was called the network table of referrals. So one of our members had taken it upon herself to sort of collate every time there was a, a request for uh, assistance. If you were referring somebody that wasn't a member of the Millpin, there was sort of an additional ask on top of sending, you know, reaching out to the person who was seeking the assistance, was emailing the person who maintained this network table of referrals to say, hey, can you add so-and-so as, you know, real estate attorney in Sarasota, Florida, or whatever we were looking for. And so we sort of built that up. And I think that became a little unwieldy over time. So we sort of discontinued that and went back to sort of this one-to-one individual you know, has a, a request and let's answer it sort of in real time model. But Bill Wells, who maintains the list of lists, has sort of cultivated several other listservs on various topics. And, and we do send that out to our new members and, and ask that if they have interest in any of those additional distribution lists, again, run sort of outside of, of the mill pin that they reach out to Bill directly to get themselves added to those. You just retired a year ago, correct? Just about. Yeah. December 1st of last year. And what was your journey like? How did you end up at Wiley Rain? So how far back do we want to go? Uh, Uh, You're the the guest. You get to drive that. I I feel like it's, you know, I feel like the movie Airplane, you know, started beating. Well, then the, you know, then the earth cooled and the dinosaurs came, but they were too big and dumb. So they died. My dad was an Air Force officer, Air Guard and Air Force various times as I was growing up. And I wanted to serve. It was important to me uh, to get my commission. And so when time came to look at schools, uh, I explored the Air Force Academy. I explored ROTC scholarships. Ultimately went the ROTC route, a couple reasons. One, I kind of had an inkling that I didn't want to be career active duty. I wasn't even certain I wanted to be run out of full reserve career. In fact, I would I would tell you in retrospect, if you'd gone back to Cadet Felder signing his ROTC contract and August of 1994 and said, someday you'll retire, much less as a lieutenant colonel, I would have thought you were certifiably insane. That was sort of never in the plan. The other reason why I went the ROTC route rather than the academy route is this was before the Air Force relaxed the vision requirements to fly at all, much less a a fighter. And so I kind of had this sense that if I went to the Air Force Academy, I would be a second-class citizen for my entire career as a non-pilot and and no ability to become a pilot really at the time. I guess it was a few years later, they actually relaxed it and I could have sort of qualified under that potentially. So you saw Uh, your future as a silo officer. Yeah, I didn't think that was, that was not the way I wanted to go. You know, my, my dad was an Air Force civil engineer and, you know, even he sort of suffered through some of those prejudices against non-pilots uh, throughout his career, though, you know, he had a, a successful Air Force career as well, in addition to his, his civilian career. So, you know, it was, it was trying to figure that out. Okay, so now I, I know I want to do this. I'm going to do an ROTC scholarship. What do I actually want to study? Well, I, I always had in my mind that I wanted to go to law school eventually, but 
I wanted to do something in undergrad that would be different, right? That, you know, it wasn't sort of the traditional necessarily path to law school. And so I, I was a mechanical engineer. I liked math and science in high school, right? So oh, I'm going to check out mechanical engineering and, and you know, loved it, uh, really enjoyed it and had a professor in my second semester, I think, of my freshman year who was sort of talking to me about career path, career, career trajectory and said, well, what do you want to do? I said, well, I want to go to law school. He said, oh, that's interesting. You know, what do you, what kind of law do you want to do? I said, well, I want to do something that will allow me to use this engineering education that I'm getting, that I'm investing in. And, and at the time, I thought that meant something like products liability or environmental law. And he said, have you ever thought about patent law? No idea what patent law is. I said, you know, I sort of generally knew what a patent was because this was, you know, pre-internet days and Vanderbilt was a one of the, the patent depository libra libraries. So the patent office had sort of duplicated their files at various libraries around the country. Vanderbilt was one of them. And that was one of our, our projects. First semester engineering school was to go look around and sort of get familiar with the, the patent records, at least. I had no appreciation for what a patent was, what a patent attorney did, but he sort of described to me, so well, yeah, that sounds interesting. So fast forward to my senior year, I apply for an educational delay to go to law school. I get granted the educational delay to go to law school, start at UVA law in the fall, find myself a job after my first year, summering at a law firm in St. Louis, Missouri, where I grew up, because uh, it meant I could go home and live at home for the summer. And they had a patent group. And I said, well, I want to spend some time with the patent group this summer. And realized that what I got to do as a patent attorney was see cool new products, cool new, I, I always call them toys, before anyone else. And help the inventors of those cool new toys figure out how to develop a strategy to bring those toys to market, to use those toys to further their business strategy. And I say toys, I don't, I don't mean to be sort of minimizing it. It's just a, a convenient shorthand for me to say, you know, hey, there's, there's something new and cool here. And I get in on the ground floor of it. And that was very, very exciting for me. Uh, and so that's sort of what cemented my in my mind that I want to do this intellectual property thing. I want to do patent law. Graduated law school, did a branch transfer to the JAG Corps. I was originally branched engineer out of ROTC. So after my officer basic, went to Corps of Engineers headquarters in Washington, D.C. as part of the military honors program and was one of only two intellectual property attorneys command-wide. So here I am, I guess, a very senior first lieutenant and then a, a junior captain. Said, oh, you're an IP attorney? Here's here's half of what we do. Yeah. Half, half of all our IP. This was early 2000s, so the focus was very much on patents. There was not a lot of focus on technical data and computer software that contractors were developing or offering to the government. I've got my theories on this and you know, when I get opportunities to talk about IP and government contracts, I sort of soapbox these theories. I, I won't bore your audience with that because that's not what they're they're here to hear. That evolution from patents to the government's focus on technical data and computer software started to shift as I was nearing the end of my active duty time towards the end of 2005. When I left active duty and went to a firm, it was with the idea that, well, I could go back and be just a patent prosecution attorney, just a patent litigation attorney, or here's this small pond, right? Here's this niche practice of the intersection of intellectual property and government contracts that I've been exposed to during my time on active duty that's starting to get more and more interesting to the government and therefore is going to start getting more and more interesting to contractors dealing with the government. And I'm not a big fish now, but I will be a relatively larger fish in a small pond. And so being at Wiley, I mean, Wiley has got, if not the best government contracts practice in the world, certainly one of the best government contracts practices in the world. 
The attorney that was the hiring partner at the time was also an Army judge advocate, had also been at the Army Corps of Engineers, had also taught at the Army JAG school. And so I, I sort of leveraged the military network to reach out and said, you know, tell me about this opportunity that you've got here. And it, the opportunity was purely in the patent group. But you know what I wanted to know was, is there going to be an opportunity for me to sort of start shifting my focus from just pure commercial IP to this intersection of intellectual property and government contracts? And the answer was yes. You know, we've sort of built from there, right? Over the last, I've been there about 16 and a half years. And we've sort of, you know, it started as, again, just sort of pure patent prosecution work that shifted into what I do now, which is mostly intellectual property that touches a government contractor in some respect. You were able to sort of specialize and you didn't have all this hodgepodge doing different things in the army. You were able to marry up your background in engineering and focus on IP and patents, and you were able to leverage that into service, and that has been able to springboard you when you retired. It is fair to say I had a very non-traditional JAG career. Most people come out of the basic course, they go into a legal assistance bill at some place. From there, they probably move into military justice. You know, they start as trial counsel, maybe they move over to become trial defense and then go from there. But that really is your sort of first four years, your, your initial term as a captain. And I only stuck around for one active duty term, right? You one, one four-year term as an active duty officer before I, I shifted to the reserves uh, and spent the rest of my career there. The work of the Corps of Engineers, it's, you know, it's, it's one of those areas that does translate more neatly to what a law firm might do. Right? Sure. The exposure to, to government contracts, intellectual property questions, to bid protests, to claims, to big time federal civil litigation, all the things that you might expect a government agency to do that a law firm would do on the other side for the, the private client in a way that's saying, well, what did you do in the military? Well, I wrote wills and I prosecuted courts martial, yeah. right? I mean, there's value to that. No, don't get me Absolutely. wrong. You, know, you, you learn all sorts of things that, you know, I, I could bring in a first term captain that, that did just do courts martial and say, you have skill set that an associate with three years of experience doesn't have. And you have leadership training that an associate with three years of training doesn't necessarily have. But there's often sort of that translation difficulty for a law firm to look at somebody coming off the military, coming out of the JAG Corps and going, yeah, but what is it that you did that I can actually sell to my client? Right. Right. Because you know, if I'm going to pay you, they have to pay me and they have to want to pay me if I'm going to pay you. Right. And so how, what do I tell them? What value you bring to the table? That's one of the things that I've tried to focus on in, in sort of my mentoring role as people have transitioned from the, the JAG Corps into yeah, whether it be private practice or in-house practice is how do you explain to the people that are hiring you how to explain what it is you do, what you bring to the table to their client to hire them? Right. Because, you know, right now we're just a sunken cost, a cost of doing operations in the government. We don't have to turn a profit. We don't have to compete for our clients' business. So in your mentoring role, have you seen success stories for people that you've mentored? Absolutely. Uh, absolutely. So one of the things I do is I, I chair the firm's Veterans Affinity Group. And so we try to put out some podcast content around Veterans Day every year. So last year we did one with myself and another attorney and then somebody who's a non-attorney at one of our clients, one of our, our contact firms. And, and this year I said, well, I, you know, I want to actually sort of showcase some of our new talent because we've hired a number of new associates in the last year. Several of them came out of the military, JAG Corps and non-JAG Corps. I said, I want to give them sort of the microphone. And so I, I had the opportunity last night to listen to their, their podcast pre-release to, to hear them describe how successfully they've made the transition, including one of them who I think this is this was probably the most heartening thing to me. She actually heard the podcast that we put out last year 
That's what prompted her to reach out to the firm as she was nearing the end of her active duty service and has joined us and really hit the ground running and done a great job for us. But yeah, I mean, I've certainly mentored a number of people through success. Nobody's perfect. I've had some that didn't work out so well too. I can give all the advice in the world and say, well, you know, your your ticket to success is, you know, I, I know you've retired after a 20 plus year career as a Navy 06, but you need to behave like you're an ensign again, or it's not going to work out really all that well for you. And, you know, sometimes that's where you go, right? Right. Do you find that military JAGs tend to self-limit themselves coming out? They have a whole bunch of experiences out there doing different things, different places, different stressors. And yet when they go to look for work, they don't understand how that translates into the civilian world, the leadership, to be able to make snap decisions, the ability to learn new areas of the law. Have you seen folks that have just said, well, you know, I can't figure out how to be part of a corporate law office, or I can't, at my age, I can't join a law firm because I just, a law practice is foreign to me. So therefore I'm going to go do this because I'm more comfortable with it. I haven't really seen that, but what I'm wondering now is, as I think about the question and how to answer it is whether I haven't seen it because the people that I'm aware of being engaged in the transition have reached out to me or to somebody else for guidance about how to do it and sort of addressed any sort of self-limitation. Sure. Or whether it's because that would be the exception rather than the rule, that most of us do understand that we bring a lot of value to the table and don't sort of box ourselves in that way unfairly, right? I mean, right. you know, there may be folks coming off and say, look, I'm only interested in going to the government or I really want an in-house position or I'm dead set on going to big law. But I, I haven't really seen anybody who has said, or at least is, has sort of said and then stood with, you know, yeah, I, you know, did a 20-year career in the military so I could only possibly go into the civil service. Like, that's the only thing that makes sense for me. I've never met anybody wired like that. Let me ask this. Have you done uh, resume reviews for folks coming out? Yeah, usually in connection with a broader, you know, how do you make this transition? What should I be looking for? How should I be selling myself? What should I ask for in terms of seniority, in terms of compensation? Very rarely is it just, hey, will you look at this resume for me and, and tell me if it's good, bad, indifferent? I mean, the resume is tough because if you're applying for a specific job, of course, you want to marry that up with the language and and tailor it to that. But, you know, a profile or CV, if we want to bastardize that term for networking purposes, and I asked that because I just went through that process. You know, I sent out one that I, I broke it down by some commands. And I had a guy that was on this podcast came back and said, you know, that really doesn't mean anything. And so it was, it was sort of a functional, but under the heading of, you know, Navy captain for 28 years and just listing the skill sets without necessarily listening to jobs. But, you know, you have people that are married to breaking it down by your last 10 years. Yeah. Uh, so that, that's why I asked that question. Yeah. I'll tell you, Tom, I mean, the, the aha moment for me on that was looking at the LinkedIn profile of one of the general officers that I worked with at the Corps of Engineers, who described his role not as deputy commanding general, but as chief operating officer. And you're like, yeah, that's the translation, right? So what am I? Was I, you know, was I the, the brigade judge advocate? No, I was the general counsel for a 1200 person organization. And I advised the CEO, right? And, and when you start thinking about it that way, when you start trying, you know, sort of reframing what it is you've done, that's language that resonates with somebody who doesn't speak military. Now, I'm fortunate. There's a lot of people at Wiley that spoke military and understood precisely what it was that I did, but you're not going to find that everywhere. 
And so, so understanding that translation, and again, that was, you know, that aha moment was, oh yeah, yeah, the CG is the CEO and the DCG is the chief operating officer and the staff judge advocate is the general counsel and, you know, so on and so forth. Yeah, I mean, it's it's always interesting to hear people that have successfully made the transition, what their experience was and what they're seeing now, either as a mentor or a member of hiring panels and those things like that. And, you know, I went back and I changed mine, but you've just given me more things to add into it. Not much, just some tweaks about, yeah, I did this as a chief or general counsel or a deputy general counsel, but, you know, stressing the size of the organizations, which gives some context to your experience. I want to circle back to the Milpin. So this is by name, someone essentially has to do the introduction. So if I'm a judge advocate out there, it says, I want to get me some of this Milpin action. What is the bar for introducing someone? And what I mean by that is I was introduced by a colleague that I knew, that knew me. And so he did it. If after hearing this podcast, someone in the audience says, oh, I got to get me some of that Milpin action. I'll just email Tom and say, hey, can you introduce me? What's the standard there? It's a shockingly low bar, Tom. The reason why we haven't publicized is because we don't want it to be inundated. I mean, the, the mission of the Millpin is still one-to-one help. And again, whether that's one-to-one help with finding you counsel or finding counsel for a family member or a friend who's in need or potentially finding a really good candidate for a really interesting job someplace, we are focused on the, the one-to-one mission to help our members. Uh, that said, that mission only works if we have members. And so, you know, when I say nomination, right, it, it's more like introduction. It's, hey, I, I've got this buddy, Tom, who I served with at one point. I think he'd be great for the Millpin. Well, why? Well, because he'd love benefit from this and he can add value to it because he'll have referrals or he'll have positions or he'll have opportunities, whatever it is. Really, what do I want to do when I get those names? What do I do for the person who nominates? I give them credit in the introduction. That's it, right? Uh, you know, my, my predecessor gave out uh, what he called Netties awards. <laughs> They're all virtual, right? And but it was he was very clever. You know, somebody coming from the space force, it was a Netty and NASA, you know, outfit or or you know whatever, right? I, I guess I'm not as creative because I, I've sort of given up on coming up with Netties for everything that we do and just sort of try to you know make sure the information gets gets out there. Look, we're in the military. We're motivated by things like that. We get coins. We get awards. We get medals. Like. That, that keeps us going. So maybe maybe I should go back to giving out netties. If people hear this podcast and they want to join, reach out to you and, and you pitch them to me and, and you're going to get credit for you know having a wide-reaching podcast. Could, could people just mail the, the Milpin? I suppose, but I don't really want to give out the email address because I don't want to sort of have the mailbox just get slammed with, with everything. Neither do I. That's why I was going to put a charge on Charging $10 a head for people that want me to recommend them. But now that you made that pitch, I, I got to be careful. There's all these little networks. And, you know, Milpin is obviously one that's been around for quite a long time. It's done by people that are have full-time jobs and don't have the time to administer social media sites. And more importantly, it has worked. It has shown that it has worked. And so I don't think you you need to, to change something that is working. Yeah. We've made some little tweaks here and there around the the way we do business and the the way things work. Um, But by and large, it it is what Dave started 20 years ago. So folks, if you're out there listening and you want to take advantage of this networking opportunity, I first recommend you talk to your colleagues. Maybe some of them are already members of the Milpin. If not, of course, I'm happy to do introductions. Of course, I'm like Scott. I don't want to see my 
mailbox inundated. Because as I was sharing with Scott before we went on the air here, I'm actually studying for a bar exam, and that is increasing my tendency to drink. So anyway. <laughs> the, the other thing I should throw out here is, you know, as the uh, networker in chief for the Millpin, I do retain the power to be completely arbitrary and capricious. So, you know, there, there have been times where things have come in and I'm like, you know what? Yeah. Uh, you know, maybe that's not the same way my predecessor did it. You know, maybe it's a, a change, but I think it makes sense. And so, you know, I'm going to wave my, my magic nink wand and, and we're going to, you know, add that person or send out this announcement or support this uh, opportunity. Well, Scott, you've given us a lot of great information on the mill pin. You've given us good information about your own transition and success story of parlaying your military experience into what came after. And I know that you went active to reserve, but still that you're out there helping others and mentoring to them. This is the network that we're trying to build. There's work for all of us out there. So I appreciate your time and coming on and speaking to us today. You know, it's 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 been a privilege, Tom. I I really do think, and I said this in my email invited me to, to speak. I think one of the most important things we can do, those of us that have served and, and moved to the outside, is help our brothers and sisters who are looking to make that move and, and make it successfully. Well, we appreciate that. Speaking on behalf of all those who have not yet moved, but are planning to. So thanks, Scott. Absolutely, Tom. Thank you for listening. If you like this podcast, be sure to subscribe and tell your friends. After the Jag Corps is a TJW 50 Associates LLC production.